0: Now Today, I want to begin with our core passage, and it's from Philippians chapter 4, verses uh, uh, 6 and 7, and uh, the words are on the screen so you can follow along with me. Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus." Well today we're going to address the disconnect uh between our belief and the fact that we live lives full of worry and anxiety. And this is something that I struggle with greatly. So I'm I'm really talking today out of my own experience. Because those of you who know me know that every time I stand up to preach, uh the the morning previous to that, or you know, this morning it's it's there's a lot of worry that goes on and and my uh it's bad. Um you know this this is something worry. Anxiety that that plagues many of us, and and it comes in so many different forms. You know, we worry we worry about tons of different things. Many of us um, can always find something to worry about, and and then when we don't have something to worry about, we get anxious, thinking that we've forgotten something. Right? I mean, this is this is uh, this is something that's very real. You know, kind of like it, it's the first day of vacation. Um, you're out on the beach, and you're kind of sitting down, taking that first sigh of relief. And uh, and then all of a sudden you realize that you don't have something to worry about and it freaks you out. How many of you have been there? Like you break out into a cold sweat like, oh, what did I forget back at home? Um, and I know what it's like. For most of my life, I've dealt with some kind of anxiety or stress. And when I was in college, it really just um, hit me hard. I remember... Uh, there was this group of people that I cared so much about what they thought about me that uh, I couldn't be around them when I ate in the cafeteria because I, I would, my stomach would just turn upside down. And it, and it bothered me because I used to love so much eating that fried chicken patty sandwich with the fries on the side and chocolate milk and pudding um, and a burrito and a donut and cereal. And it's true. And a grilled cheese. Um for me, like the, the freshman 15 came super fast, you know, it was like, I'm huge. And, uh, but, but the reality like, so, so I cared so much about what they thought about me that I couldn't eat. And it was a great diet tool. I got thin again, but I hated not being in control of my own life. I mean, I, I couldn't control my worry. So instead I started to control my eating and, and still to this day, if I'm worried about something, I'll forego eating because of my unsettled stomach you know worry worry can consume us uh, even um you know like w- with with everything that happens in our lives how many of you remember y2k does anybody remember y2k right everyone's worried because they think the world's going to come to a crashing halt because our computers can't count past 1999 i mean this was a real thing uh, i mean people like you remember what they did like you saw the news stories they're they're um you know stocking up on food rations and water rations and they're barricading themselves into their homes. You know, some of them, some families didn't come out for like a couple of years. I read this in the news, like they're just buried underground, afraid that, you know, the world broke out into chaos because of a computer glitch. Um, then there's those other people who instead of, you know, like rationing and hoarding, they bought into the whole eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die mentality. And they sold everything they have. And they're like, come at me, Y2K. I don't know. I didn't really worry about it um, because uh, that New Year's, I spent it uh, with one of my college friends uh, in the middle of central Texas on a chicken farm. And uh, it was like a 100 miles from all civilization. So like I was like, Ew. if the 1900s come, no big deal. I'm already living in the Wild West. It's no big. Whatever. Whatever. Um, now, I mean, all of these actions, uh, they're just based on anxiety. And a lot of us, you know, we often play this what-if game. What if this happens or, or what if this? What if our kids get sick? Or what if our house catches fire? What if we get into a car accident? What if someone steals our identity uh, and we lose all of our money? I mean, these are so many things that, that, that we can worry about. And, and each of those things then create more worry in themselves, right? You know, if our house does burn down, then um, how are we going to get all those things back that we really can't replace, like our important documents or our memories? And, and how much money is it going to cost to get back up onto our feet? You know, uh, you know, the reality is, I mean, we, we don't have control over a lot of these things, and then we become overwhelmed by anxiety. No matter, though, what it is that consumes us with worry, one thing that we must recognize is that worry does not draw us closer to God. Never does worry draw us closer to God. I mean, this is really the great disconnect. You know, if we trust that God is our maker and our keeper and our friend and that he loves us, that he wants the very best for us, that he has purposes and plans for our lives, then when we spend our time worrying, we're really denying that we trust who God is. And there's another concern here that that we're elevating something else above God in our lives. Essentially, worry leads to idolatry. I mean, think about it. When we worry about something, say our house uh, being burned down, and I use this example because it was the greatest fear that I had when I was a child. I was, you know, like at night I would pile up all my clothes in front of the window just in case that alarm went off, and then I could open up the window and, you know, take my clothes with me because I wasn't going to show up to school the next day not in my Z Cavaricis and rayon shirt. It's true. Some of you thought it too, like, oh, yeah. this was me, Whatever. I mean, uh, you know, seriously, my, my friend uh, growing up, he, his house um, burned down when we were in middle school. And, like, for a week, uh, he, he, like, had these kind of, it was just shabby clothes. And, you know, I felt really bad for him. I thought, you know, I could probably help him out with this. But we were different sizes, and so he didn't get my help. Um Anyway. At some point, When we worry about something like this, what we're really doing is we're living with faith in the bad things that can happen to us rather than in faith in God. So we trust that our house is going to burn down. And so we try and control whatever we can for that situation. I mean, worry, in essence, is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. You know, we're elevating something above our faith in him. Paul says in Romans fourteen twenty three that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. That's everything, including our worry. Our worry in no way proceeds from our faith in God, and therefore it is sin. Now, for me, this is difficult. This is difficult truth to move from my head into my heart and then allow my actions to follow and be representative of my trust in God. And so I have to take some baby steps in my faith when I realize that my worry is becoming an issue for me. And here, here's usually where I begin. And I hope this helps uh, any of you who may deal with the same thing. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is, is building to his main emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount. And he makes this statement in verse 25 and following. Therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on, even your Zeke Avaricis, Jeremy. Is that in your Bible? It's in mine. Okay. Um, You know, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, who so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? This portion of Jesus' sermon, it follows a statement he makes about God and money in which he says you can't serve both God and money at the same time. And I like how Jesus builds into this proclamation about anxiety because for me, most of my anxiety stems from security or the lack of security. And I tend to feel more secure when I have financial stability. But Jesus, what he's saying here is first things first. God first, and then everything else can work itself out. But if we fail in this point, if, if, if we put other things before God, then we got, get caught in this trap of worry because we're not in control of very much in our lives. I mean, we may like to think that we are, but we're not. I mean, can we control what other people do or how they treat us? Can we control the environment that we're in? No, we don't have control over these things. And as a result, we end up disappointed about our situation because it doesn't work out the way that we expected it to. I mean, really, a worry is um, uh, uh, the result of incorrect expectations in our lives. The expectations that everything's going to go the way that we want. And, and, and then if it spins out of control, you know, then, then we can fix it. So we go into this mode of grabbing at everything that we can to ensure that we're going to be okay. But when it doesn't happen, we begin to worry. We become full of anxiety. However, we do have control over some things in our life. Before I get there, so Jesus stops at this moment in his sermon, and and as he's speaking, he looks around at the birds of the air and the flowers on the ground, and he says to us to consider how much they toil in order to survive, and really, we know the answer, right? It's not much. They don't do anything. They don't spend that kind of time worrying about those things. And and let me just do a little sidebar here for a minute. It it must be said that at this point Jesus is not advocating for us to give up on work altogether. I know some people who would like for him to be saying that, like, oh sweet, I don't have to do anything. Like I was just gonna provide, cool. (laughs) No. That's not what he's saying. Nor, nor was he saying that, that what we're going to receive from God as he provides will be of little value. Some people like to fall in that, that category. These tend to be the polar thoughts here when people read this part of the sermon. You know, I'm, I'm not going to work because God's going to provide for me. Or, or I'm just going to relinquish any hope that I'll ever have anything nice in my life again because that's what God gives me. You know, neither of these attitudes were lived out in Jesus' life. Jesus was a hard worker you know he 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 was a carpenter and and he served tons of people around him he he was his life was full of work and then that other polar view is that when when god provides for us that we won't have nice things you know we're, we're just going to have enough food to get by and, and our clothes are going to be you know drab and boring uh, no when we get to passages like these we often forget who jesus really was. I mean Jesus was the one who was often found at the dinner table feasting with his friends. He was the guy that brought the best wine to the party, the hundred dollar bottle of wine, you know? He's like, I brought Cristal No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus wasn't some destitute, you know, looking guy who scrimped on everything. I mean, even 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 at at his death, the Roman soldiers were gambling for his tunic. That had to be a nice tunic, you know. Jesus wore Gucci, guys. I'm telling you, no, he didn't. But um, you know, what Jesus is speaking about here um, is is ultimately it paints this this interesting picture of God for us because. In our post-Christian world, you know, we often talk about God either being really far away from us, distant, non-interested, not involved, or even non-existent. Um, You know, a lot of people would say that, But, but here in this text, we hear Jesus talking about how he and we as his followers need to be present in the moment that we are in. This is what we have control over, our attitude in the moment. Rather than allowing our minds to focus on what's about to come or or thinking about what just happened, Jesus is saying, live here in this moment. Don't waste your time thinking about tomorrow. Instead, focus on the present. Attend to the present. I mean, this is one of those things that can have such a profound, calming effect on us and those around us. I mean, it's interesting. As a father, I see this in my kids all the time, and I'm sure many of you as parents have, have witnessed this too. If, if, if I'm present uh, with my children, attending to their needs, rather than being anxious about something else that's coming up, then my children feel cared for, and, and they're happy, and they know that they're loved, and they experience it. But if I exhibit worry, my kids are anxious and worried. They they mirror my emotions. They mirror our emotions. And and um, as parents, we have this opportunity to help our kids have healthy emotional lives. If you want your kids to be healthy emotionally, then don't worry around them. Because that just freaks them out, okay? That's just a little nugget. Take it. Um, okay. So notice here, though, this is this is cool. Notice the duality of what Jesus is saying here in the sermon in Matthew six. Um, he, he's saying, OK, Jesus is God and he's saying because he's demonstrating for us how to live here in the present. What he's saying is God is living in the present with you. God is near. God is in this moment. He's not far off. And and even more than that, he wants us to bring our anxiety and our worries and and present them to him with open hands, ready for for him to answer us if we go back to the philippians 4 text paul writes uh that we are to come to god with our worry and present these things to him uh as an invitation for him to intercede in our lives and the word supplication here that paul uses in this text it it means to humbly ask We are supposed to ask God to be involved in our lives. Instead of spinning our wheels and worrying, getting nowhere, we should invite him into the midst of our anxiety and trust that how he wants to answer us is going to be good. And this is really why we should be thankful This is the the same attitude that many of the psalmists had when they wrote the psalms. We see this pattern throughout the text. You know, they're frustrated and they're worried about what's happening in their lives. But because they know that God will answer them, because he's answered them, you know, in the past, then they faithfully thank him for what they trust he will do in the future. Listen to this. This is Psalm 54. This is to the choir master with stringed instruments, a maskil of David, with the Ziphites. Um, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, "Is not David hiding among us?" David writes this prayer to God: "O oh God, save me by Your name, and vindicate me by Your might." Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me and ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Now this is David talking to God, okay? And, and, and he's in this new stage of life. He's already slayed Goliath. You guys know that story. And um, And now Saul, who's the king of Israel, is after David in pursuit of him, trying to kill him so that David cannot take his throne. Now, David's already avoided death at the hands of the Philistine army and also Saul's army. Okay, he's been, he's been in some really rough patches already. There was actually this song, uh, that was written about David and it it goes like this. It says, Saul, that's the guy who's pursuing after David. Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. It's kind of a mockery of Saul. You know, David's proud. I don't think David wrote it, but, um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just kind of stating his position. But now, you know, Saul, he knows where David is hiding. He's, he's really close to him. He's about to attack him and, and kill him. And then this is, this is David's words that follow. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies and your faithfulness put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble. That's in the past. He's already delivered him. And my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Trouble has already come to David. And now as he's facing death again, he trusts that God will save him. And God does. You can read this story in, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23. And, and What happens is God sends the Philistine army into uh, Saul's land and area. And, and, and Saul has to retreat from David to go deal with the Philistines. And ultimately David gets away and his life is spared. David trusted God. David David knew that God was going to care for him because he had already done it. I mean, this is this is an example of what Paul means when he writes to the Philippians. We can live with things that we can either choose to worry about or we can trust that God will help us because we've seen his work in our lives in the past. This is called faith. Now, we don't necessarily know how, how God is going to answer us, but we can trust that God will answer us. And, and that's what we have to be thankful for, because we know that God is good. Not because we know that his answer is going to be exactly like we want, but we trust that God is good. And, and, and with trust, we can really begin to understand how to respond to worry. And honestly, I think this is the greatest response that we have to worry: is trust in God. It's it's kind of like, um, well, th- this is what I call faithing it. Um, I didn't say faking it. Like, okay, we faith our trust. In God, even though our hearts don't really get it yet, even though we're, we're, we're not sure, um, you know, about what God is going to do or answer us, we trust it because we, we hear about it, right? And so we have faith. We kind of fake it until our, our hearts actually catch up with our minds. You know what I mean? And, and, and so that's really, that's really what faith, faith is. And, and, and the best way that we can faithfully act On this trust in God is to honor the Sabbath. And this is what we demonstrate. And this is the way that we demonstrate that we truly trust God's provision for our life. See, the Sabbath day is a day designed for rest. And we see throughout the story of the Israelites how God uses the Sabbath as a way to show that he is close and that he will provide for their needs. It's a faith Building tool for the people of God. The question is, do we have the faith that it takes to rely on Him in the midst of our Sabbath, in the midst of our worry? Can we relinquish our fear and distress? Will we ever trust that God will be earnest in His promise to us? Now Paul seems to give us a way to help build our trust uh, in God, in the following verses that, that, that are part of Philippians 4, right after 6 and 7, beginning in verse 8, he says this, as a way to build our trust. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and, and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you when we have fear when we have worry when we have anxiety we should present our request to the Lord but we should also commit our minds to think about the wonderful things that we have been blessed with by God and in those moments we'll begin to experience peace and I'm not trying to create some kind of formula for us to get over anxiety that's not the point of this um but rather, uh, I want to help us as a congregation to start a much larger conversation about what it means to live in the delight of the Lord, to live a life with margin. Okay, this is this is a conversation um, that we're we're going to dive into much later in another series. Um, but we have to learn to be people who are willing to consider that life in pursuit of God means that we need to trust Him. We demonstrate our trust by, by demonstrating our worries and our anxieties. Um, by, I'm sorry, by surrendering our worries and anxieties over to Him. I mean, ultimately, the opposite of worry is trust. So if we're worried about something, that means that we don't trust God with that thing. And if we trust Him, then we have nothing to worry about. Trust ultimately leads to us following this pattern of living that we see throughout the text of the Bible. A text that begins in the very first chapter of, of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. And, and, and we're supposed to do the same thing that God does. He works, you know, how he creates. That's his, that's the first thing that God does in the text. And God spoke into being these things. So he works and then on the seventh day he rests. And when we rest, just like God, we trust that everything is going to be cared for. When we allow this to be the pattern of our life we begin to see how trustworthy God truly is. And when those waters rise, when our house possibly threatens to burn down, when we become panicked, when, when we look back, uh, uh, then we can look back and see how God has already provided for us, how he's already cared for us, and we can trust that he's going to do it again, that he'll carry us through whatever we're dealing with. If you haven't heard us talking about um, living a life with color here at Quest, you're going to hear about it some more. We're going to continue to talk about it. But ultimately, this idea of trusting in God, living without worry, living without um, uh, anxiety is really what it means to that. what we mean about living in this life of color. You know, it's free from the drab existence of overwork and exhaustion. It's a life colored by love, trust, ...freedom, grace, and mercy... ...and it's best characterized by our trust in God... ...which is lived out in the Sabbath practice... ...which, by the way... ...the very first thing that God ever consecrated as holy or set apart... ...was the Sabbath day. When we find ourselves consumed with worry... ...that's an indication that we're not fully trusting God. And and, it's not the end of the world... ...in fact, I would say it's different... ...because when we have that indication in our lives that we have anxiety or worry, whatever it is, it should lead us to some kind of introspection where we can ask ourselves, you know, why am I reacting this way? Why is this thought or this thing in my mind, why is it causing me this kind of worry and anxiety? And, and, and what does this say about what I believe about God? you know so if we live in a, a state of panic worried that some harm's going to befall us we need to get to the root of that emotion and 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 allow that panic to indicate that place Where where we're we're placing an incredibly high value on something um, that that can be taken from us. We're placing it above God, and and so when we see that, what we can do is is we can we can recognize what that ultimately says to us about our belief in God. Do we believe that He's good enough, or gracious enough, or loving enough, or close enough to handle the situation that we're struggling with? You know, maybe what this is telling us is that we idolize something too much. As a parent, I know I do this with my kids. Often, I will put them above my faith in God because I'm not sure if I trust him with it. That's a confession. I used to do this in my uh, early on in my marriage with Alexis before we had kids. I put her above God because I didn't know if I could trust him with our relationship. You know, for some of us, we fear that we're going to lose our careers or our homes or our reputations. And so we spend these countless hours worrying about how to protect them. But what we're really saying is that we're not ready to surrender that part of our life over to God. And I want to say that if you can identify that thing in your life that you struggle with, that you worry about, that you're anxious about all the time, that's good. Because if you can label it, then you can begin to work on how you can surrender it over to Him. And that starts with the recognition that what you are worried about is something that ultimately is a blessing in your life. I mean, hear me out. If you're anxious that your house is going to burn down, what you have to realize is that your house is a blessing that was given to you by God, right? And and you have to start thanking God for that blessing because as as Paul said, it's worthy of praise and God blessed you with it. And and that thing that, that you love is a great thing in your life. So give him praise. And as you thank him more and more, you will start to realize how easy it is to trust him with those things in your life. You'll, you'll start to loosen the grip that you have on those things and recognize that because they're gifts given to you in the first place, you can trust them with the guy who gave them to you. Right? Uh, this is a great transformation because when our grip loosens and our, our, our perspective shift, that's when Sabbath rest becomes so easy for us. And when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, everything that they had, including their freedom from slavery, was given to them from God. The food and water, direction, their freedom. And on every Sabbath day, God instructed them to rest and to not worry about gathering those things um, to take them through the day. Because God said, on the day before the Sabbath, gather enough for both days. I will provide it for you. God will provide. But we have to trust in that. And the longer that we trust, the easier it is for us to believe in God. See, worry is no way for us to live our lives. Worry drives us to work harder than we should. It causes us to die earlier than we should, and it robs from us the very essence of what life is supposed to be about. A life surrendered to God is one about trust. We trust that God is near, that God loves us, and, and he will take care of our needs. And when worry pops up, we should use it as an indicator of where we lack this trust with God, and I want to challenge you today in two things. One is right here, immediately. We're about to um, worship, We're about to um, sing our praises to God, and, and I want you just to be aware of where your mind goes during this worship moment. Okay, if you're singing praises to God and you start to think about something else that you've got to do later, maybe you're worried about it, you're anxious about it, maybe it's work, maybe it's home. I want you to to to, to capture that thought, and I want you to try surrendering it to God. Thank Him. Thank him for that thing that you're worried about. Thank you for my children. Thank you for the blessings. Thank you for whatever it is. And then surrender it. God, I want to be present with you in this moment. I trust that you'll take care of whatever it is. So, Lord, I surrender it to you. The second challenge I want to give to you is is when you wake up tomorrow or Tuesday and you go back to work and maybe you're laying in bed and you don't want to get out of bed because you, you, you're you gripped by anxiety. And I want you to think about that same thing. Like, what is it that you're anxious about? And I want you to, when you, when you discover it and label it, I want you to actually write it down. Write it on a note card, put it on your mirror, write it in a calendar, but write it this way. Write it, thank you God for whatever it is. And do that every day because the more that we can look at it as a a blessing and a gift um, from God that we're thankful for, the easier it is for us to surrender it to him. So today, let's begin this way. Let's lay down those things at the altar. Let this be a moment where we can surrender our fears to him and be present with him in this place. Let's thank him for the blessings that he's given us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful for all the ways that you have blessed us. We are indebted to you. And we pray that we could loosen our grip of control over those things and just uh, allow our trust that You will take care of those matters to grow in us, to grow in our hearts. Allow us to be children who trust our good and loving and caring Father. Transform our hearts. Let us have the faith that it takes to surrender all of this to You, we pray. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for His sacrifice Because without it, we know that we wouldn't even have this connection to you. And so we say thank you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.